Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, Mother's Day, my, my prayer has been my hope for you is um, number one for celebration for many of you. It's a day to celebrate you and all that you do. But I know also at the same time for some of you today, it's a hard day. And so I've been praying for healing. Maybe some of you have lost a mom. Some of you maybe want to be moms and, and aren't able to. Uh, and so as we do some giveaways and that kind of stuff, and we have, um, you probably saw, we have Parfait out there. I saw some guys like, like vultures hovering around there. Um, maybe I was one of them. Uh, we have the photo booth. I saw many of you, some of you taking uh, advantage of this morning. And then also the other cool thing we have for all of you ladies is we're going to keep the kids in there for 10 extra minutes after the service today. And so you're going to be able to eat those parfaits without someone begging you for one um, or grabbing on your arm or whatever. Uh, we did try to find someone to watch the men for 10 minutes, but no one would sign up for that. So you'll have to fight them off. All right, a couple, we have two different things, right, Jessica? Two different things. Um, first is a beautiful gift basket. Uh, I'm not a good fan of white, so I don't know what to say, but it's awesome. And so Jess Nielsen, Jessica Neil, Jess Nielsen, congratulations. And what else do we have here? A family, family photo shoot. That is awesome. I think I'm going to draw my name here. We have Christy Stewart. Christy Stewart, congratulations. So again, our prayer is that today is a celebration and a day of healing. God can do both at the same time. I love this series that we kicked off last week. Cindy did a phenomenal job talking about an encounter at the table. I think all of us can relate to this, no matter where you are in your faith journey, no matter whatever reason you're here today, and we welcome those joining us online. We all know what a table is, don't we? (laughs) We all have seen a table. We all hopefully have a table in our Dining room, uh, maybe it's buried under a lot of paper or book bags or whatever, but we have a table. And a lot of us, I think, we have memories around the table, don't we? In fact, there'll be quite a few today that we gather around the table with our mom and we celebrate, we eat together. We have memories, if you think about in the past, we think of, you know, different Christmases or different Easter's that we had around the table. And there's also some things we look back with, with sadness, right, because some people aren't at that table anymore. We also have funny moments at the table, some probably times where we look back and something funny happened, something odd happened uh, that we always joke about. You remember when uncle so-and-so, right? It's always some uncle, right? You know, it's that crazy uncle. Uh, I remember this, I was thinking this past week, um, something that you just need to know about me is that I have a heavy disdain for vegetable soup. Just gonna tell you that, okay? I know we tell our kids we're not supposed to use the word hate, but I think that's when we're talking about people, right? I hate vegetable soup. I'm just going to, okay. I I love them individually. I think tomatoes by themselves and carrots by themselves and green beans by themselves and whatever you put in vegetables, they're phenomenal. I, I love vegetables. I don't know why we put them together and then we put them in with the meat and I don't know, maybe it's a tomato. Some of you maybe use a tomato base or whatever, you know. So my memory at the table is I grew up in a home where you finished what was on your plate, right? You didn't leave the table. I was kind of this, my dad, I mean, 
grew up kind of that way. We kind of grew up, my brother and I kind of grew up that way. And so vegetable soup time came. You didn't leave the table until it was done. So my memory, my funny memory, whatever, is I remember trying to slip vegetable soup under the table to our dog. It's easy to slip bread to a dog or meat to a dog. Vegetable soup's a little more challenging. I'm, I'm, try, I'm not joking. I'm trying to like somehow get that bowl under the soup, without, under the table without my parents watching. Uh, and then the worst story I've ever with me around the table was I came up with an ingenious idea to, to take care of this vegetable soup. I asked if I could go to the bathroom. And so I asked, and I somehow slipped the vegetable. Now, this is a 10-year-old's mind. It's not thinking through the repercussions. Under my shirt, I take it upstairs. I dump it down the toilet, or at least a lot of it. I come back with a little bit. You don't think your parents realize when the bowl's gone, and then it comes back, and I got a fresh fuel of vegetable soup. Not a good thing. I read a book a number of years ago called The Jesus I Never Knew. Uh, it was written by Philip Yancey. If, if you're looking for a book, I would highly recommend it. The Jesus I never knew. And his whole premise is, there's, when we get to know Jesus for who he truly is, it changes everything. And there's so many times that we think we know Jesus, we think we know about, we think we know what he wants to do in our life, we think we know the totality of who he is, but we're missing something. Now, my prayer is this today, that in the next 25 minutes or so, that you know Jesus, that, even, that I know Jesus in a way that I didn't know when I came in this morning. And that as a result of that, our lives are going to be forever changed. We're going to look at an encounter someone had with Jesus that changed their life forever today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, if you want to follow along. We're going to start, we're going to kind of take it uh, in chunks by verses. I'm just going to do verse 1 right now. It says this, and you'll see it on the screen. It says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. Now, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Someone invited him over. Simon was the Pharisee's name. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. Uh, and so he invites him over to his house. And Jesus accepts the invitation, and he shows up. Now, we don't know why he invited him over, although as we unpack this, we might get a little bit of a clearer picture of why he did this. We don't know why Jesus accepted the invitation other than it was a hospitable thing to do. Someone invites you over to their house for dinner around the table. You join them. It's not what's in this passage that is the game changer. It's what's not in this passage that's the game changer. You see, now, when you invite someone over to your home, if you're going to invite someone over for lunch today around the table, or if you're going to invite someone over to your house at any time, what are some common courtesies that you do when they arrive at your house? And I'm all for participation. I was a teacher for a decade. So when someone arrives at your house, you invite them in. What's something that you do? Just shout it out. You offer them a drink. Someone else? You take their coat, okay? We're two for two, okay? Let's just stop while we're ahead, okay? Right? So we do, right? When Common courtesy when someone comes over to your house is you take their coat or whatever, the purse or whatever, and you say, hey, can I take that? We offer them a drink. We offer them a place to seat, right? I mean, we don't just say, like my kids do when someone comes over, just open the door and they will run the other way, right? No, we... we we invite them in. There's common courtesies in the 21st century that you do when you invite someone over to your house and over to your table. The first century was no different. There were common courtesies 
that you did. Now, you'll be glad when I share what they are, why we've changed them a little bit. Number one is that the servant would wash the person's feet, okay? So when you came, because remember at that time, there were no cars, trucks, automobiles. Everyone's, as Cindy even talked about last week a little bit, uh, you're wearing sandals. It's dirty. It's dusty. Let's just be straight up. One of the things I was waiting for her to say last week, because maybe it's a guy thing and we're just gross, but <laughs> there's animals out there, right? And animals do their business on the roads, right? And so when you're showing up at someone's house, you don't know what you've, you do sometimes know what you stepped in. Other times you didn't know that you actually stepped in it because, right? You get my picture, okay? Uh, it must be a guy thing. Okay. So you would wash their feet. That's step one. The second thing is you would anoint or you would give them oil. The oil would, would kind of served as kind of a, a deodorant in some way, a cleanliness kind of thing. The other thing, and this is the one that you probably are not instituting, is that you would greet them if they were an equal to you, would greet them with a kiss on the cheek. Uh, if they were not an equal, say they were a rabbi or someone really important, you would kiss their hand, Okay. I have instructed our first impressions team uh, at the Valley Church to change our greeting. And so starting next week, we'll be greeting you with a kiss on the cheek. No. It was nice having you here. Okay. None of these things happened. None of these things happened when Jesus showed up. He didn't wash his, have anyone wash his feet. He didn't pour oil on him. And he didn't greet him with a kiss, and it would have been on the hand because he was a well-known rabbi. Jesus was in rock star status at this point. Everyone knew Jesus. Everyone wanted to be around Jesus. They knew that something was special about Jesus, and they knew that he was someone who taught with authority. What happened here is what's not in the text is that this Pharisee invited him over to shame him. It was a setup. It was a setup. And you, Now, here's the other thing. Table, at this point, the table was not in their living room or in their dining room. The table was more out in the courtyard. And so you see our table set up over there. It would have been a lot longer, obviously. But this table would have been in the courtyard where there's a lot of people kind of mingling around. There would have been a fence separating the sidewalk, if you will, or the dirt road from the courtyard. So anyone could walk by and see, and that's key in just a moment. But there would have been a lot of people there. This wasn't just he invited two people over. He invited Jesus over, and he metaphorically slapped him in the face. He invited Jesus over and he shamed him in front of everyone. Everyone would have been walking around and either thinking or whispering and saying, wow, I can't believe he just did that. Now, we don't know why he did this other than it was clear he was wanting to shame him. I kind of wonder too if he was waiting for Jesus to react. Was he trying to set him up, waiting for Jesus to pound the table and say, you don't treat me like that, I'm the son of God. Hard to tell, but we know one thing, that Jesus did not react that way. As we go on then in verse 37, that's why it's so fascinating. It's why I love studying scripture, because you can read verse 36 and say, okay, that's great. And then verse 37, you did, what's not there is what I just explained, right? The, the, the context for what's going on here. It says, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. I'll get to the rest of that in just a second. By the way, when you reread this, and especially if we're a follower of Christ here today or watching online, we read this and we say, a woman who had lived a sinful life. And I think our propensity is to do this. She's a sinful woman. It was clear she's probably a prostitute or in some sexual sin. 
And I think, and maybe this is just me projecting this on everyone else, so I apologize if I do, but I read this and I say, well, she was a sinful woman. She was a sinful person. And I kind of think, I'm not. Can I, can I just share some truth to myself right now and <laughs> you take it for yourself or leave it? Put yourself as that person. We were the sinful person if you've given your life to Christ. We all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Let's not pick on her quite yet. Let's get honest with ourselves. It says she's walking by. She's walking by, and she learned that Jesus was eating at the house. Word traveled. Everyone knew, kind of everyone knew where Jesus was going. If Jesus went to this city, everyone said, we got to go to this city. If Jesus went, and it, word had traveled, hey, he's at Simon's house. Simon was well known. He's at Simon's house. He's at Simon's table, and she's walking by, and she stops. Now, you got to remember, everyone knew what her occupation was. All she had ever experienced in her life was rejection. All she had experienced in her life was shame. All she had experienced in her life was guilt. And she's walking along. And there's Jesus. And we're told that she stops. And she goes into that courtyard. Can you imagine the guts that this took? Can you imagine what was going through her mind at this time? Let's be real, right? Everyone was saying there. She, I mean, there's side talk going on. You know, now we'd be texting each other. She's here. She's here. Stay away from her. You know, that stuff's going on, right? They knew who she was. She knew what they were thinking about her. She knew that they knew who she was. And she took a risk. She took a risk to walk into that place to meet Jesus. She wanted to experience something that only Jesus could offer. She wanted to meet him face to face. You see, Simon, the Pharisee, he was interested in shaming him. He was interested in scorning him. He was, he was looking and saying, I'm better than anyone. I'm important. I'm special. Look at me, model your life after mine. But yet this lady walks in. And we see this in verse, as we continue in verse 37 into 38. It says, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Stay on those slides for me, please. So we see here that she shows up with some stuff. Oh, you might be wondering, well, how's his feet so clearly evident? Like his feet should be under the table. Here's another thing to understand about how they reclined at tables. When you went to someone's house and you went to the table, the table was not lifted up off the ground very much at all. The table was essentially like a big foam mat, okay? Pretty, I mean, fairly thick, but a, a foam mat. And then you would recline at the table by laying on your stomach, facing the table. So picture the table, you know, like, in the, you, I'm not going to do it, okay? But, but you would recline on the table, you'd be on your left arm, and you'd be leaning there, and that's how you ate. Now, I thought about that, and I've, I knew that before, but I thought about that, and I was like, you know what? Forget all these weight loss strategies and diet plans and carbohydrate this and Atkins diet this. If I took our table and put it like that in our house and started eating by reclining on my stomach on one arm, 
I would lose weight, <laughs> right? I mean, I can't think, I would not be eating long at that table, but that's anyhow. But that's how they did it, okay? That's how they did it. And his feet would have been obviously behind him. Remember, had his feet been washed when he showed up? Had he had the ceremonial cleaning? No. And it says right here that she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind at his feet weeping. This never gets old for me. (laughs) I can't help but think that when she walked in there and everyone knew who she was, and she knew who she was, but she wanted to meet Jesus. She wanted something different, and she knew he was someone different. And I don't know how this went down, but I, I want to imagine that when she walked up behind Maybe he made eye contact with her. No, no, no man, unless they wanted something from her, ever made eye contact with her. Maybe it had been a long time since, since someone showed compassion for her, had shown her attention for just being who she was and not what her vocation was. Something happened. That's all I know. Something happened when she encountered Jesus. Because her response was the response that should happen. She was rocked and wrecked. She was absolutely wrecked. The tears came down her eyes. The tears of what Jesus, of grace. That she could experience grace for the first time. That she could experience healing. That she could experience wholeness. That she could experience completeness. And her response is overwhelming of just the tears. And they come down. And she wiped them. It says, I don't know if it's later on or if it's another translation, but it says that let, she let her hair down. That was scandalous, by the way. No woman ever let their hair down unless it was in the presence of her husband. That was kind of a, a scandalous thing to do. You know that when she let her hair down, there was oohs and ahs. I know we don't get it in the 21st century. It's hard to understand. But there would have been, there would have been like gasp. And we're told then that she then wiped the tears. She washed his feet with the tears. The thing I want to lean into just a smidge is this idea of the perfume. It was very customary at that time. Women would wear around their neck a little vial, not nearly this big, but about half the size, a vial of perfume. It would always be around their neck. Now, it was mixed. It's not what you think of as perfume today per se. It was kind of a, a mixture of things that served as not only perfume, but also as mouthwash. Now, you got to understand, in the first century, there was no deodorant. <laughs> in the first century, showers were not a common thing. And I also said about there might be different you know, materials on the roads, and it's smelly, and it's hot. We're in the Middle East, folks. The Middle East was the same then as it is now as far as climate goes. It was hot. It was humid. And so this served as a way to smell. We always think that maybe back then they didn't care what they smelled like. People were human. Back then, they cared what they smelled like. They cared what they, their breath was like. <laughs> it's not like we all of a sudden got hygiene in 2022. But here's what's fascinating about this. This around her neck that it says that she poured out on Jesus was symbolic too. When she pours this out on him, she's saying that she's leaving her old life. This was always used for what her profession was. When she was encountered by a man, she would use this beforehand. 
Do you get it? She meets Jesus. She's wrecked by his grace. She's wrecked by the power of who he is. That all she can do is weep. All she can do is have tears of gratitude, tears of humility. She wipes his feet. All the things, notice, all the things that this religious leader was too good to do, was too above Jesus to do, was too spiritual to do, she does. And she's saying in this moment as she encounters Jesus, I'm not going back to my old life. Church, that's how it should be. When you and I meet Jesus, we don't want to go back to how life was, do we? When you and I encounter Jesus, we want to just sit at his feet and worship him. That's what it's looked like. I think maybe that's why the world's not really interested in faith as much, because we haven't shown them, if you're a follower of Christ here today, how it should work. In fact, I read this quote recently. I can't remember who it was. It might have actually been Pope, uh, Pope Francis. But it said this, and you'll see it on the screen. It says, mission exists because worship does not. I love this. We get so wrapped up and saying, this is our mission. This is the mission. This is the mission of our life. This is the mission of the church. This is... I would cha- challenge you to say maybe we don't need a mission. Maybe we just need to worship. We opened today intentionally with a song that said what? It's time to worship. Because here's what happens. When you and I meet Jesus at the table, when we really meet him, I mean, when I'm not, not just head knowledge, not just biblical knowledge, not just information, but when we really meet him, when you really know Jesus, the Jesus you never knew, when you really know Jesus, when you've really had an encounter with Jesus, when he's changed your life, you don't go back. You want more of him, and you want more of him, and you worship him. Why do you worship him? Oh, it's really easy, church. It's because he's worthy. (laughs) That's what worship actually means in the Old English. It's where we got the word from. Worship means worthy. How are you doing with that? How are we doing with that? Are we worshiping him? Is he your everything? There's an old song, Avalon, I think, wrote it, or lyrics said, he's everything to me. He's more than a story. He's more than words on a page. Can you say that today? He's everything to you. He's more than a story. He's more than words on a page. And you just want to empty everything and never go back and worship him. That's where you'll get your mission, folks. That's where you'll experience it. We go on and see this in verses 39 through 43. It says, when the Pharisees who invited him saw this, the Pharisee, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who he is touching him, what is t- who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. <laughs> I love this. You have Jesus ever tell you that? Hey, Mark, I got something to tell you. It's also fascinating that he knew his thoughts, but that's a sermon for another day. Tell me, teacher, he said. Still, I still think there's an air to him. Tell me, teacher. What do you have to, you know? 
Well, Jesus said two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Uh, 50 was about day's wages. 500 was probably six months. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you're right. You judge correctly. The greatest, the people who love Jesus the greatest, the people who worship him, are those of us who remember how he set us free. It's easy, and that's why I said it's easy to label her, well, she's a prostitute, I'm not a prostitute, he's a murderer, I'm not a murderer, he's whatever, right? Uh-uh. You got to come to that moment when you realize that even your best intentions have some level of flaw. That even the greatest level of your goodness still has some impurity to it. And that we're sinners. And the only way we can be saved is by grace. While we don't want to wallow in our past, I think it's always good to remember how we've been set free, right? To be set free, to be healed, to be whole, to be complete. And he wraps up with this, and he says this in verse 44. He says, then he turned to the woman. Are you picturing this? I'm not going to go over there right now. But he said to the woman, picture this around the table. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? He said, I came to your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I have entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, oh yeah, her sins, they've been forgiven. As great as her love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Kind of ignored that. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I've been on this journey. A couple weeks ago, I talked about kairos moments. I said that there's two words in the New Testament for time. One is chronos, which is like clock time, wristwatch time. And the other is kairos, which is a God moment. It's a God sighting. It's a, it's a specific moment when you see God, something leaves out the place, something happens in your life, and it stops you in your tracks. And you and I then have to decide, are we going to lean into this and allow God to change us? Or are we going to just go through another lap in the wilderness? And so I've had this kairos. I, I mentioned to my wife, Jessica, about six months ago or so, I said, for one of the first times in pastoral ministry of over a decade in pastoral ministry, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I know we're going to continue leaning into the next generation with incredible kids ministry. I know we're going to serve a lot in the community. I'm talking about the world's changing so fast. Culture's changing so fast. People are so lost. People are running away from the church. The, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, is, is the fastest growing demographic of a religious affiliation. They're saying they have no religious affiliation. There's another group that says they're done. There's the nuns and they're duns. They're done with faith. They're done with church. They're done with, with Christianity. And then there's the ums, U-M-M. -M. They're not even sure what they're going to do. They're like, mm, I'm not sure if I want to be. 
And I'm like, Jess, I don't know what to do. And I started praying. That's all, you know, that's what you do, right? You just start praying. And God started taking me on this journey. I'm going to do it in like a minute and a half. This is a six-month journey. But he started talking to me about eschatology. Eschatology is a big fancy word for end times. I'm going to save you a little bit of money today, folks. It's not about the left behind stuff. It's not about is it pre-trib, post-trib, or whatever. Eschatology is simply saying when we look at the end of times, is God going to make a new heaven? Is he going to make a new earth? And is all the things that are broken in this world going to be made right? That's what, and I said, yes. So I'm answering these questions to myself. You get to listen, okay? I said, yes. He's going to make all things right. There will be no more death. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more dying. There will be no more hurts. So then what's that mean for the church? That's ecclesiology. What's that mean for the church? Well, man, we got to play a role, church, then in getting closer to the fulfillment of everything that he wants to make whole. The things that he did for this woman, your sins are forgiven, you're healed, you're set free. We have to get closer to that. So then he brought me to, well, that's his kingdom. The kingdom of God is not lording over. It's not treating people like the Pharisee treated. It's not thinking you're better than. It's remembering that if you're a follower of Christ here today, that we are sinners saved by grace. And so then we, as the king, as, as we usher in the kingdom, the least shall be first. The greatest, the, the least shall be the, or the least shall be the greatest. The one who serves others is the one who's exalted. Okay. And in his kingdom, his rule and reign is in the hearts of people, and it's about life transformation. It's about all the things broken in this world being made right. And this is where he tied a bow on it for me, with shalom. And that's what I want to spend a minute talking about. Shalom. It all comes to shalom. Shalom, we always think, is just the word peace. But that's just a fraction of what it means. The word shalom, as Scripture intended it to mean, means complete peace peace. It means wholeness. It means that everything that is broken is made right. Completeness. Wholeness. Completeness. Complete peace. Anyone need that today? Anyone need wholeness in their life? Anyone want completeness? Anyone want more peace? He said this to her, your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. These words would have taken her breath away. All she knew in her life was guilt, was shame, rejection, fear. And he says to her, Go in peace. She had never experienced peace before. But when she encountered Jesus at the table, her life was changed forever. How about you today? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need peace? Do you need shalom? Do you need wholeness? Where in your life do you seek wholeness? Where in your life do you need more completeness? Where in this world is God calling you to bring shalom? It doesn't just stop individually. It's not just Jesus and me. What's he asking you to do? Where has he placed you? What's he given you a passion for? To see wholeness and completeness brought into the lives of people. That's why we're here. That's what she experienced that day. 
Oh, what a great day. Her life was forever changed. She wasn't going back. And then he spoke identity into her. You're forgiven. Go in peace. Do you know if you've asked Jesus to become the leader of your life, he's given you a new identity? You're now a son of the king? You're now a daughter of the king? You're forgiven. You are set free. We're going to close with this song. God gave me the idea for this song when I was at Dylan's baseball practice. <laughs> I was walking around praying through some of the stuff for this week. And all of a sudden, this song, and it's a song I've, I listened to earlier that week, called Come to the Table. <laughs> How fitting. Come to the Table. A couple of the lyrics of this song say, Come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Some of the other lyrics talk about that the table's open for everyone. No matter what your past is, no matter what your present is, no matter what you've done, no matter how much you've failed, no matter how much shame you have, no matter how much guilt you're carrying in this morning, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your age, we all are welcome to the table with Jesus and be set free. So here's what I want us to do. Caleb's going to lead us in this song. I want us to worship. He'll stand you at some point. But as I was even thinking of it this morning, coming in, I was like, just worship. Maybe you need to kneel at your seat. Maybe you can come forward and kneel at, up front. Maybe you stand. Maybe you sing along. Maybe you just sit there and reflect. But I want us all to come to the table today. Will you come to the table today to be set free? Will you come to the table today to experience healing, fullness, and completeness.
There's liars in these thieves. There's no one welcome here. So the sin and shame that you brought with you, you can leave it at the door. And let mercy draw you near. He said, come to come to the table to be set free just like the woman we looked at today that our response when we encounter you is a response of worship because you're worthy if you're here today and you've never experienced God's grace you've never experienced forgiveness would you receive it (laughs) would you allow him to come in forgive you set you free start the healing that only he can do I pray for others of us today that 
we would not lose sight of worshiping you. That it's not about reading the Bible each day, it's not about praying each day, it's, but it's about worshiping you. And that each day we would do those things because we just want more of you. We want to sit at your feet. We want to bask in your glory. We want to experience greater, greater grace, shovels fulls of grace. And then out of what you do within us, God, that we would bring shalom to where we live, where we work, where we play. That we would desire healing and wholeness in all of creation. Pray that in Jesus' name. Hey, a couple things. Uh, number one, a couple of us will be up here for prayer. If you want anointed for anything today, I'll be up here and some others. Um, and then two, moms, women, eat some parfaits, get some pictures taken, and enjoy another aspect of shalom, <laughs> 10 minutes apiece <laughs> as you eat. Have a happy Mother's Day. Be blessed. We'll see you next week. for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.